Our text this morning is the last half of Genesis 32. It is a continuation in the story of Jacob. And as we go week upon week and we see these these stories in this this great book of the book of Genesis, the, the pace of it, I think, is seems breakneck. But I would remind you that this is our 43rd time together in Genesis. That's how rich uh, this book is. And one of the great things about this book is that it presents to us people who are real people with real struggles. And so as we read and look at this text, I would encourage you to think of how it applies to your own life. Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 to 32. That same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Thus far the reading of God's holy, inerrant, and sufficient word. Let's pray for His blessing upon it. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to You and we ask that You would make Your word real to us. Real to us in a way, O Lord, that not only will we learn from it, but Lord, that we will be affected by it. Lord, we ask that you would encourage us by your word. Encourage us in our journey as we seek to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. This we ask in the name of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, There's an interesting phenomenon that oftentimes occurs in homes. Have you asked yourself lately, 
how strong you are. There's an easy way to test how strong you are. You don't need fancy equipment. You don't need weights. You don't need anything that needs to be bought on TV. All you need is one good jar. You know how it goes. Mom is cooking in the in the kitchen, tries to get something out. She can't get the jar open. She tries for just a minute. Figures this is a good opportunity to encourage Dad. Honey, could you show me what a wonderful, big, strong, strapping, loving husband you are and open this jar for me? Sure. Let me get ready. And there are times when it doesn't just pop off. Where you turn and your face turns red. You stop and you wipe your hand on your pants and you get it out and you get a better grip. Okay, well that doesn't work. Ah, let's get a dish rag. It's my grip. I can open this. And we go and we try and we turn and we test and eventually what happens? Mom's, you know, let me have that. And she grabs it. And she does some kind of near magic trick. She runs it under water. She taps it on the counter. She gets out some kind of tool and pop, it comes off. Proving that it's not about brute strength. And we're not as strong as we think we are. Now that's a small humorous vignette, but this happens all the time in our lives, doesn't it? We think we can handle things until we get into the midst of them and then we realize, no, we can't. We get afraid and we feel the danger. That's what Jacob is experiencing this morning. Jacob is in the midst of the most dangerous period of his life. He is about to meet his brother Esau and for all that he knows, he is about to meet his end. But that doesn't make sense because God has promised to bless him and to make him a blessing to the nations. So what is going on here? And so Jacob is confused. And God meets with him in the midst of this. And it's an opportunity for us to see how the Lord meets with us. How he blesses us. And how he proves to us that our strength is found in him. And not in ourselves. So this morning I'd like us to see three things from this text. The first thing is, I'd like to look at when we think we are strong. What happens when we think we are strong? And then the second thing that comes up is what we do when we know we are weak. We no longer think we're strong. We know we are weak. And then finally, what happens to us when we see that we are gods? When we think we're strong, when we know we are weak, and when we see that we are gods. When we think we are strong is something that happens here to Jacob. He is struggling right now. And he's struggling with the world. He's struggling with circumstances. He's afraid. He's come to an end of himself. Everything is at stake. He has all of his children around him. His wives. His servants. Every earthly possession he has. And he's afraid that he's going to lose it all. He's afraid that what he has done, even more so, 
to be the cause of him losing it all. For you see, in his mind now, if disaster comes upon his wives and his children and his servants, it's his fault. He was the one who tricked Esau. He was the one that infuriated Esau. He was the one who had not made an effort to make peace. You see, we begin here and we think Jacob is the good guy and Esau is the bad guy. And we should immediately think that Esau should do whatever Jacob wants. But you see, Jacob has been mean, trickster, miserable to his brother. He has every expectation that disaster will come. An idea of how nervous he is, is that he takes his family and all that he has, in verse 22, and he crosses the river Jabbok. Now, I want you to understand the context here. They're out in the desert at night. There are no flashlights. There are no electric beams. There's no artificial light. Have you ever been in a place that's supposed to be lit up at night and it isn't? You ever been to a sports stadium when the lights go out? You can't see your hand in front of your face. So Jacob, in order to do all of this movement, must be very afraid. He knows there's no time to waste. He sends them across this river because he needs time to think and to plan and to be with God. What causes you to be afraid? Is it economics? Is it finances? Is it your health? For the health of others who are around you? Is it your concern for our nation and its future? Concern for the church? Your own future or the future of your children? All of us have that nagging fear that we put off. That we save for another day. And we distract ourselves from it. We turn on the television. We turn on the radio. We do some cooking. We call a friend. And we put it out of our minds. But you see, Jacob is now at a spot where he can't put it out of his mind. He has no television. He has no one to talk to. There's no place else to go. It is coming right now down the pike. So if you have fears... What God is telling you here this morning in Genesis 32 is not to put them off. Not to dull them with activities or children or food or drink or other things. God is telling you to face your fears head on with Him. Because you see, Jacob also has a plan. As afraid as he is, he has a plan. I mentioned last week that many of us come to this story and we think Jacob is trying to protect himself. That he sets up these groups of gifts of animals and the way he arranges his two handmaids and their children and then his two wives and their children. And it's all arranged so that he will be protected. But you see, it's not cowardice here that's driving Jacob. Look with me down at the next chapter quickly. In verse 2, he put the servants with their children in front and then Leah and her children and Rachel and Joseph last of all. But then you see, he himself went on before them. It's not cowardice here. 
It's the kind of normal fear that you and I have. And he goes out to meet Esau. But he's afraid. And you see, what happens here is, when we struggle with the world, if God is gracious, that leads to us struggling with the Lord. He's now alone at night. And he can't sleep. You know what I'm talking about. You had experience with that. Where you lay down and you toss and you turn and sleep will not come to you. Maybe your stomach is upset about a school exam to come the next day. Maybe you're to go to the doctors. Maybe you've got a big meeting. Maybe you have concerns that weigh down your mind. And so... He cannot sleep, and you can almost imagine in your mind's eye him pacing around in the dark. And it's intentional that he's doing this in the dark, because you see, the nighttime, the dark time, is a time when we have self-examination, when we're not distracted. There's a reason why we have a tradition of prayer before we go to sleep, in the quiet of our room, with the lights off. It's because it's helpful to us to focus upon the Lord. Where do you go when you are afraid? You need to be able to go and to focus upon the Lord. You need to go into the dark, as it were, to see God. But you see, there's another interesting thing about the dark. Not only does it provide focus and the ability to meditate, it conceals. This is, of course, why we are afraid in the dark. Because we don't know what's there. And you can imagine what happens as Jacob is pacing, perhaps talking to himself. I like to think that Jacob has a little bit of Italian in him and he's waving his arms, thinking, smacking himself in the forehead about things he was supposed to do. He's getting animated. And he's moving back and forth. And all of a sudden, a hand leaps out in the dark and grabs him. It's fearful just saying that, isn't it? Could you imagine if that happened to you in the dark? When you're alone and you know you're alone and there's no one supposed to be? Who is it? And the hand grapples with you. And there's pushing. And punching and fighting and grabbing and scratching. Who is it? Is it some servant of Esau? Is he come here now to... Make good with Esau to come back with my head? To to fulfill the vow that Esau made when he said he would kill me? And you see, Jacob then begins to wrestle. And, And the word here in Hebrew for wrestle is very vivid. It actually comes from a word that is also used for dust. Because as they wrestle, they're rolling around on the ground. The dust is kicking up. This is flying. The way that you see two grown men normally stand off and perhaps tap each other. This is when you see brothers, siblings, going at it, furniture flying, things going everywhere. Now, if any of you have ever wrestled, you know that it is absolutely exhausting. Right? Dads, you know you can't keep up with your kids for more than a couple of minutes. But you see here... Jacob is wrestling minute upon minute, hour upon hour. This is a real battle. It is going on all night long. 
It's exhausting. It is a fierce battle that tests him. And we might imagine that in the midst of this, as Jacob is surprised, he's afraid, but after five or ten minutes and after an hour, he's thinking to himself, well, I'm holding my own here. I know what I'm doing. He can't prevail over me. I've got a chance here. If only I can practice my famous move. If only I get that opening to do that leg sweep. Then I'll be in charge. And you can almost imagine that as the minutes tick by and as the sweat flows down and the dust flies in the air, that Jacob becomes more and more assured of his own ability to win. His own ability to conquer. We, we have a saying for this, don't we, in the sports world? That when a favorite lets an underdog hang around in the game, bad things will happen. They should put him away. Because the longer they hang around, the more they think they can actually win. And that's what's going on with Jacob right now. And then something else happens. Jacob thinks he's strong. But then he learns. He knows that he's weak. And the text, almost in its brevity, mutes that for us. You have to imagine this long wrestling match and all of a sudden, near the end of it, with one touch, Jacob is completely obliterated. One touch. One blow upon his hip and he can no longer wrestle. He can no longer win. The pain is excruciating. He has no chance for victory. As a matter of fact, he knows that he has no chance and he actually stops wrestling. This is like when you see two boxers in a ring. And after a while it becomes obvious that one heavyweight is just far superior. What does the other do? He clenches up every chance, doesn't he? He clings on. The ref has to keep breaking them up. And that's what Jacob is doing. He's not wrestling anymore. He's grabbing on for dear life. He's not trying to win. He is like... Well, I think in some sense, he's like me on certain rides at Disney World. When my daughter makes me go on them, she's nine, and you go and you grab on to that bar, and then you try and put out of your mind any possible thought that maybe the engineer was having a bad day when he designed this machine. And you just are hoping to get through it. This is, this is the pattern of my life. I remember the first time I went on Space Mountain in Disney World. Afterwards, um, my parents asked me how it was, and I said, I have no idea. I closed my mind the whole time and was just saying, please let it be over, please let it be over, please let it be over. That's what Jacob is doing. He's not trying to win. He doesn't have any more of a plan. He doesn't know what to do. He's found the end of himself he realizes that the one that he's wrestling with not only has the power to defeat him in a moment, but he's had that power the whole time. It makes him kind of rethink his whole experience. I wasn't about to win. I wasn't doing pretty well. I didn't have a chance. The one who I'm wrestling with is powerful. You see, he realizes here 
that he has been broken of all of his self-reliance. There is nothing for him to do now but to hold on. God has revealed to him his great power. And in that, God is showing Jacob that the real battle is not between Esau and Jacob, but it is between God and Jacob. This business with Esau is just a circumstance that God is using in Jacob's life. Now, what does that mean then for you? I don't imagine that many of you have brothers or siblings that have vowed to kill you. I don't imagine that you have multiple wives or sheep or crossing rivers. But I imagine that every single one of us has something that we think we must battle and we must defeat. We must win the battle over cancer. We must win the battle over heart disease. We must win the battle over rebellious children. We must win the battle over our finances. And you see, what Jacob tells us here is that that is not the battle. Everything that God gives to you in your life that is difficult, it is heartrending, is not about you winning. It is about God getting your attention. It is about God beating you that you might win. It is about the Lord God taking control over your life that you might be free. And you see, that's what Jacob experiences now. God chose not to exercise all of the extraordinary power that he had. And when he does, he reminds Jacob of who is in control. Jacob is broken. And then Jacob is branded. The man says to Jacob, what is your name? And Jacob says, Jacob. Now, we think, well, that's right. That's his name. But what does Jacob mean? It's a name that Jacob has carried with him all his life. And the reason he got the name is because it means supplanter, grabber, trickster. Every time someone called him, hey, Jacob, it was an insult. You can almost imagine Jacob looking down at the ground when he says it, knowing that it's true, especially because Esau is coming back. The one that he supplanted, the one that he tricked, the one that he took from, he has no hope. That's who I am. I can't do anything else. I'm always going to be a trickster. I'm always going to be somebody that doesn't have it. Is that how you feel? And maybe you don't have a name, but maybe you say to yourself, I'm always going to be that guy that loses my temper with my spouse. I'm always going to be that woman who worries. I'm always going to be that kid that can never measure up or do right. That's my name. That's me. We sort of shuffle our feet. We hope to go on. I'm here to tell you this morning that that is not what God has for you. He does not want you to shuffle your feet and go on. Because you see, God looks at Jacob and he says, what is your name? And when Jacob says, well, I'm Jacob. He says, no, you're not. You're Israel. What does Israel mean? Well, it means one of two things that go well together. Because you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. It means one who has prevailed. But really what it means is God fights. 
God rules. God prevails. Jacob, now Israel, prevails because God prevails. It's the only thing that makes sense. How could the man say to Jacob, well, you've prevailed? Now imagine this, what this looks like in your mind's eye. He's saying, you know, you won the wrestling match, Jacob. And I want you to picture Jacob like a five-year-old grabbing the leg of the man with his arms and his legs. I'm not going to let go. And whining and crying and screaming about the pain in his hip. And the man says, well, you won. What? He clearly lost. There's no way he can win. But you see, what Jacob has done is he has won through being defeated. By giving up all of himself, he gains everything. The Bible puts it in other ways. By dying, we live. By sacrificing, we gain. By focusing on the Lord, we get all the things that we desire. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. You see, Jacob wins by losing. He's branded, and he is now God's. And we see who this is. Who is this man? Is it a man? Is it an angel? Is it a figment of Jacob's imagination? I don't think so. The first thing that we see is there's only one who can rename. He's already done it once, hasn't he, in this family? To a man named Abram. He said, your name will be Abraham. We also see here that this is one that is powerful. Jacob afterwards says to himself, I have seen God face to face. Well, who is this? How can Jacob wrestle with God? Hosea gives us the answer in chapter 12. In chapter 12, he speaks about Jacob and he says in verse 3, In the womb he took his brother by the heel. In his manhood he strove with God. He strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. You see, who this is, is the angel of the Lord. Jacob wrestled with Jesus Christ. With the pre-incarnate Jesus. The only one who could change Him is the same one who can change you. Jesus. This is the power of God. Notice the mercy and power of God. He comes to Jacob and rather than judge him, He comes alongside him and tells him that he cannot find purpose in himself. And then he declares to him that he is changed anew by what Jesus has done. And he blesses him. There is another biblical principle that the lesser is always blessed by the greater. And that is what is going on here. We might imagine that what is happening is Jacob is receiving that great blessing that was given to Abraham and given to his father Isaac. And there's a perspective here now. Jacob thought the most important thing was, how do I get away from my brother? 
He thought the second most important thing was, how do I patch up that relationship? And God says, no, no, no. The most important thing is getting the blessing of God. That's something that you and I need to come to grips with. Even with all of the good things in our life, the most important thing is getting the blessing of God. It is not raising perfect children. It is not having a perfect marriage with date nights. It is not putting away the right amount of money in our savings. What is the most important thing in your life today is to obtain the blessing of God. And we get that when we surrender. When we say, Lord, I can't do it. But I'm not going to let go. I'm not going to give up until you bless me. Because then I will know that I have hope, that I have purpose. In weakness, we are strong. The last thing we see here this morning is not just that we're not strong when we think we are. It's not just that we know we are weak, but also we need to know and to see that we are gods. We don't belong to ourselves. God is the one who is in charge. And that's why as Jacob wrestles with God, it's, it's interesting. He asks God, who are you? And he gets the answer of a question. I don't know about you, but when people do that to me, I find that difficult to deal with. You know someone like that? Every time you ask them a question, they answer with a question back and you're getting nowhere. And finally, you throw up your hands and you walk away. But Jacob doesn't do that. What does he do? He takes the blessing and then he says, I have seen God face to face. Because you see what's going on here is God is not trying to keep information from him. God is not trying to trick Jacob. He says to Jacob... Why is it that you ask my name? Don't you know who I am? I've been with you all along. Don't you know who gives the blessing? Don't you know who protects you? Don't you know who gives you hope? Don't you know where you can turn? There's only one place, Jacob. And you can imagine, if this were a cartoon... The light bulb goes on over Jacob's head. Oh, I've seen God face to face. This is what it is all about. God's in charge. He's the one that numbers my days. He's the one that directs my circumstances. He's the one that gives me hope in the midst of hopelessness because I'm not in charge. It doesn't depend on me. I can't mess it up. And you can imagine how very practical that was for Jacob. My guess is before that hand reached out in the dark, he must have rehearsed his speech to Esau 150 times and changed the words and changed the cadence and changed his gestures. What can I do? How, what's the best way? And now he realizes it doesn't depend on the perfect words. It doesn't depend on the best gesture. 
It doesn't depend on the best timing. It doesn't depend on me at all. It depends on God. And if we live our lives in light of that, oh, how glorious it would be. We are freed from trying to manipulate our circumstances and control our beings and those around us and our job and our finances and everything else. And instead, we lean to the Lord to give us wisdom and that no matter what, He will carry us through. When we are gods, we have peace. We have comfort. And Jacob has a faith in the Lord that abides. God does something very, very good for Jacob. He cripples him for the rest of his life. What? If any of you have ever had a bad knee, trick knee, or swollen ankle, you know it's not fun to get around. Jacob will never be speedy again. The text tells us he just limps off. How is that a blessing? Well, you see, Jacob has faith in the living God, and now that faith is unforgettable. Every time he might be tempted to think, God is not real, God is not there, God will not hear me, he takes a step. And he says, oh yeah, he's real. Oh yeah. That's what God does to us. He gives us tangible reminders of who he is We see one of them here this morning. He lays out for us physically the sign that He is coming back, that He is our God, that we might see and smell and taste that He is real in our lives. And in this, we know that we are dependent upon Him. Do you think that you're strong? Now, I'm not asking you to beat yourself up. When you are tempted to think, Jesus got a lot of things to do. He's got people to save over in Asia and over in Africa and in the inner cities. He's got a lot. Of, I got this, Jesus. I can handle this. I can handle my wife. I can handle this sin. I can handle this circumstance. You need to realize that that is not something that comes from the Lord. It comes from the pit of hell. It's the enemy of your soul seeking to get you to focus off the Lord and on to yourself. And you must reject it. You must follow your father in the faith, Jacob. And know that you are weak. But in your weakness, Jesus is strong. Let's pray.